0: recovery elevator 2023 holiday bonus episode welcome to the recovery elevator podcast my name is paul churchill and yes i am excited to be here with you all today so hello and welcome to this bonus holiday episode Now, the holidays have been coupled with alcohol for as long as the Earth has been orbiting the sun. I'm kidding, that is not correct, but you get the point. And if you're struggling with alcohol or trying to get sober, the holidays can be the ultimate punch in the goat blocks. So I'm excited to introduce this panel of all-stars that are gonna give you tips, tricks, suggestions, and they're gonna share their experiences, I will as well, on how to make it through the holidays alcohol-free. An asterisk here, let's get real. Harm reduction is a real thing. If you fly off the wagon on Christmas, for example, let's not hit the F it button until January 1. Because I can tell you right now, that's not the way you want to start the new year. And when January 1 comes along, most likely that can of Coors Light is going to get kicked further down the road. Okay, so in this holiday collab episode, we've got Jill from the Sober Powered podcast, Casey from the Hello Someday podcast, and Veronica from the Soberful podcast. Now, there's a link in the show notes if you'd like to check out their projects, and I encourage you to do so. I want to thank Jill for setting this collaboration up. And after the episode, I'm going to give just a couple more tips, so keep on listening. All right, let's do this. Get us started, Jill.
1: Paul, Casey, and Veronica, thank you guys so much for joining me today to talk about the holiday season.
2: Yeah, I'm excited to
1: be here.
0: Yeah, for sure, Jill. Thanks for having us
1: comes up so fast doesn't it <laughs> it does and the stress and the purchases <laughs> and all the commercials <laughs> and the family oh. and the resentments
0: <laughs> don't forget the eggnog i went a little too big on eggnog a couple nights ago it's 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 already out <laughs>
1: <laughs> i could forget about that
0: yeah 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 yeah, yeah. we're not going to purchase any more this holiday season let's put it that way <laughs>
1: So before we talk about sober holiday seasons, I'm really curious, um, like who we all are, I guess we should start there in case someone doesn't know us, but Paul, do you want to tell us a little bit about you and your show and we'll start there?
0: Yeah, Jill, thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here with you, Casey and Veronica. These are some neat projects in this space. So I'm excited to, to share it and and be, be part of this with you all. So my name is Paul Churchill. I live in Bozeman, Montana. In 2014, I found myself in rough shape, unable to quit drinking, and I uh, started to burn the ships. That was something that I, I, I hadn't tried before. I had tried quitting alone by myself for so long. And then along with that, uh, to find accountability, because I couldn't quit drinking, I had an idea. I liked podcasts, but I couldn't really find one in the sober space that resonated with me. Maybe I was focusing on the differences, who knows. But I started a podcast called Recovery Elevator in February of 2015. First episode was February 25th. Mostly had a selfish reasons for me to stay sober. And the thinking there was if other people listened as well and it could help other people and I stayed sober, win-win. But I really wasn't care about anybody listening. And here we are, We've, I think we're on episode 458. That's 458 straight Mondays in a row, 10 million downloads later. Uh, I'm still sober and it's just an incredible journey. I'm so thankful for all the support. Apparently, I needed a lot of help uh, to quit drinking and stay sober, and that's how that's how my pathway looked. Uh, AA was a big part of my journey. It, it still is at times, um, but really, I'm enjoying the online community with Cafe RE, with Recovery Elevator, and doing stuff like this with you guys. Thank you, Jill.
1: Thank you, Paul. That's amazing. and I think everybody probably starts with your show. I think that's the one that's recommended all the time. That was yeah, the I'm one honored. that I first discovered, so I appreciate your work. Thank you. Yeah, I live
2: in Seattle, Washington. Um, I'm 48 now. Not sure how that happened, but it did. I quit drinking when I was 40, when my kids were eight and two. So I was the working mom who had two little kids and drank a bottle of wine or more seven nights a week, um, pretty consistently. And, you know, when I decided to stop drinking, it wasn't a huge bottom or a huge incident that made me stop. It was more like the death of a thousand cuts. My anxiety was off the charts. Um, I felt like I couldn't cope with life. I was sort of not remembering the end of nights and the end of shows and falling asleep on the couch and just knew my drinking was a problem and kept telling myself I would stop or take a break or just drink two glasses or whatever it was. And, inevitably would drink a bottle again. So I quit seven and a half, almost eight years ago, um, started doing coaching, uh, sobriety and life coaching for women. About four years ago, I left my corporate job and started the Hello Someday podcast.
1: Thank you, Casey. And Veronica, how about you? Tell us about you and your show.
3: Hi, I'm Veronica Valley. Um, my uh, podcast is called the Soberful Podcast. It's been around for about five and a half years, and my co-host is Chip Summers. And Chip was my um, boss, really, a mentor back, back, back in the day when I was a psychotherapist working in rehab. So I got sober May second, two thousand. So I've been sober twenty three years. So I got sober when I was twenty seven, which um, when you are um, a Generation X. British girl who doesn't drink in their twenties. Everybody looks like look at, looks at you like you have two heads. Um, so I I've been sober a long time. Uh, I was a psychotherapist in the UK, ran a rehab, and uh, came to America and wrote a book and started a. I, I'm much better at speaking than writing. I don't enjoy writing, but I do like speaking. And uh, I wanted to do my podcast with someone like who had depth and weight. And Chip has been sober for 39 years and working as a therapist for like 37, 38. And there's not really anybody who is kind of well-known in England that didn't get sober through Chip. And so we both have a lot of experience and we talk about everything regarding sobriety, mental health, from the perspective of, of practitioners, um, but also from the perspective of people who've been through pretty much all of this stuff as well. We talk about our own struggles and how we've overcome them and that kind of stuff as
1: well. Thank you, Veronica. Uh, your show is another classic that I discovered <laughs> really early when I quit. So thank you. Um, and for anyone that doesn't know me, I'm Jill. I host the Sober Powered Podcast. I celebrated four years of sobriety yesterday. Woo-hoo. Thank so you. So exciting. Congrats. Um, yeah. hey, or a couple time. weeks ago, if you're listening to this when it's out, i um, And my whole thing is the science of it. Like, why, why did this happen to me? That was my mission. I wanted to understand if it was my fault or if there was something else. And once I started learning, it felt so helpful that I just started sharing it. Um, And that's what I do now. And when we talk about the holiday season, um, I quit in the holiday season So it was really hard. There were a lot of happy hours. I was working in biotech then, so there were parties everywhere. There were parties at the office with alcohol, and we were going out all the time. We had the holiday party that year at a speakeasy that didn't really have that much food. It's a tough time of year. Um, And before we get to the good part and the tips and the the positiveness, I want to hear what the holidays were like for you guys before so paul when you were drinking what was your holiday season usually like
0: sure thanks jill i can summarize that with two words that's not present is in when i was drinking during the holidays and there's a lot of holidays (laughs) go figure but the big ones here i think for thanksgiving and christmas and perhaps new year's is kind of the gauntlet in this world um, and sobriety dates around the holidays on the holidays are actually quite common. So if there are listeners out there, they're like, yeah, I'm going to push this off to Jan one, <laughs> like new year. Uh, a lot of people get sober on December 24th or the day after Thanksgiving, right? So not present, right? It was this entire gig in my mind that I had to keep going. I wanted to hide my drinking because usually I showed up to Thanksgiving or dinner or whatnot. Um, one, to 15 drinks deep, who knows, depending on the holiday. And you, you try to keep that, that information to yourself. And then you sneak into the kitchen, you sneak into other areas to take drinks on your on your own without people seeing. And so there's this game going on inside my brain of uh, you know, how do I keep this going? And then they're also observing other people you know, trying to track their drinks. There's like this barometer that you know, I'm I'm normal. I'm drinking just like everybody else, um, but really that was a fallacy that wasn't true because nobody else was um, drinking like me. I would always lap the pace car, shall we say. So two words there: not present. Right? You're there, but I was like a shell, just eating the food, walking around, opening presents, doing the holiday motions um, that's it. I was not present. So that, yeah, that, that's how, that's what the holidays like were like for me. And also very painful because the shame, and I've heard some, some promises that we told each other on this podcast already. Hey, this Christmas is going to be different. This new year's is going to be different. All that stuff. And it never came true.
1: I like that you said not present. Um, I don't think we realized that right away, but I like that a lot. And you're right, there are a lot of sober dates around the holidays, especially like right by the holiday because of a bad experience like we've all had. But it is totally possible to quit now when you're sick of it instead of pushing it off. So thank you. Casey, what was your typical holiday season like when you were drinking?
2: You know, I've been thinking about this a lot just in the past couple of days because I am super excited. I'm going to interview Sarah Heppala on my podcast in two weeks, and I was rereading her book, Blackout, and just posted about it. And I was a pretty regular blackout drinker, um, and it wasn't terribly exciting. You know, it was just pretty normal where I'd start drinking, I'd remember all the good stuff. And then wouldn't remember how I went to bed or wouldn't remember what happened at the end of the night. Um, you know, I was a 40 year old married mom. So nothing that excited, exciting happened to me when I was blacked out. But when Paul said not present, that resonated with me a lot. It's like I started out present and then I got happy and then I just poured another drink and then I woke up in the morning, hung, you know, pretty brutally hungover. So, It was very festive. I loved the holiday. Nothing exciting happened in a bad way, but also nothing exciting happened in a good way either. Um, My sort of low point where I didn't stop drinking, but in theory I should have, it was a point that I I have a lot of regret and shame around, is Christmas Eve one year, my mom was staying with us, um, you know, nice dinner, drinking a lot, the usual And I don't remember going to bed, but apparently I passed out in bed. Um, My husband couldn't wake me up and I had hidden 90% of the stuff for the stockings. I was like that mom who bought them all year long, all the perfect things. I took care of my husband's stocking and he couldn't wake me up and he didn't know when where any of the stuff was. So I woke up on Christmas morning with two little kids so excited to run downstairs. Um, Their stockings were a quarter filled maybe with stuff my husband found. My stocking was completely full because he had filled it and his stocking was completely empty. And there was no way to play that off. Like no one said anything. My husband didn't say anything. My mother, the But it was just and I couldn't go get the presents like it was just the worst. And I was so hungover and it was embarrassing and I felt shame. And like I was trying to pretend, you know, taking the pictures in the matching Christmas jammies. And that wasn't when I stopped. But every time, you know, sober holidays are not always easy. Um, A hangover on Christmas morning and feeling like you're the worst mom ever. That's not easy either.
1: Casey, I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, that makes me want to cry. <laughs> Hearing that story, that makes me really want to cry. I'm so sorry. Um, and we've, we've talked about this before a lot. Like when we say we have no consequences. Yeah. Like, oh, but my drinking is not that bad. I don't have any consequences. And here's a perfect example. Like you said, that wasn't around when you stopped. And it's so easy to play these things off, but That must have been
2: another one of those mornings where I was like, I am the worst mom. I am the worst wife. What the hell's wrong with me? Get my life together. And that was just this constant, you know, morning ritual in my mind, which honestly is a really crappy way to live.
1: Yeah, those thousand cuts that you were mentioning. Um, and then we'll get to the good part after. <laughs> we're <gonna laughs> better. Go. We're because... not leaving it there. Um, Veronica, what was a typical holiday season like for you when you were drinking?
3: So I was <clears> – because <throat> uh, I got sober so young. Um, in England, we don't have Thanksgiving and Halloween is not a big deal. So everything is kind of focused on Christmas, which starts about December 1st. And when you um, – have an alcohol problem you just love a situation where normal rules don't apply right so during december normal drinking rules don't apply you can drink a lunchtime you can absolutely start the day with champagne on christmas day and probably christmas eve and probably everything that paul said just it it, it was it's not about it's never about Christmas. It's not about Christmas. It's not about the holidays. It's that I can legitimately drink more and in different ways during this time. And nobody can say anything about it because I'm protected by the the holiday law of drinking that we all know about. Right. So um, in, England, in England, in England, it's like, I mean, we are, a, we are a nation of binge drinkers and, and we fully embrace this whole month of, gluttony and over drinking. So you go out and you have a Christmas party with everybody, with your work colleagues, and then different departments, and then your book club and your badminton club, and you're this and you're that. So there's multiple events that you have to attend again, normal rules don't apply. Um, So it was yeah, it was just I I loved it because it meant I could drink how I really wanted to drink most of the year without having to worry about anybody kind of saying anything. And it was just, oh God. I mean, I remember one Christmas I was in... I was in Key West, so it it was just friends and everybody was shit-faced by 1 p.m. And then by 4 p.m., the Christmas tree had been trashed and no food would be... I mean, it's just... Yeah, it it was... um, I always felt because during that period I was I was single or I would be in a dysfunctional relationship. I was often in in America, so I was away from my family. It was, um, it, it was any excuse to overdrink, and it was just really really lonely. I always felt like it it really kind of brought home all the things I didn't have and and didn't have a clue how to get. Like Casey's talking about her situation, I I couldn't. Manage a relationship beyond six weeks that like don't get to the stage of getting married and having kids and having Christmas stockings like that was so far beyond me. Um So it it was painful, it was messy, but most of all, and I would be around people all the time. Nevertheless, it was very, very, very lonely.
1: Thank you for bringing up loneliness because that is a big struggle for people in the holiday season, and it does accentuate it um i'm gonna try to find this so i can send it to you but i used to have this uh calendar meme for the i didn't make it my husband sent it to me when i was drinking but it was for the whole month of december and it was color-coded and it just got worse Throughout the month, and it was about what you were saying, Veronica. like the rules don't apply, you can drink however you want like the the last week before Christmas was like destroy yourself with food and alcohol, and it was so funny back then, but it's true. the whole month of December is really the the normal rules of drinking do not apply and and that's our time <laughs> it's our time I- to shine. It's all about perspective, because all what we buy into and what's being
3: sold to us there is because this is fun. Mm -hmm. This this is fun. You will have fun if you do this. So at the time, I believed I was having fun. And I think we can all look back with perspective and go, you know, I don't know, there was maybe 15 minutes, a couple of days where it was fun. But mostly, it was really hard work with not a great result or outcome that delusion of that this is fun. I mean, it's insanity. It's insanity.
1: Yeah, that was my big problem. I thought this is fun. And December was always a tough time for me because of the extra drinking and all the holiday parties and the normalized drinking. Um, I think my if I summed it up like Paul did, I would say uh, humiliation and anger (laughs) were probably, that's the sum of my holidays uh, pre-sobriety. I would sometimes like go to concerts and just get extra drunk or go to holiday parties and embarrass myself. My number one most shameful experience In drinking is during the holiday season, um, just from over drinking and it feeling acceptable and extra fun. But I used to get really drunk around my family, which would then just ignite the resentments that I had and make me very angry. And I thought that I had to drink um, in preparation of seeing my family because of the anger and the resentments. But then I actually had those really because I was drinking to see my family. Uh, I would get in alcohol-fueled fights with my husband or other people that were at parties. It just really sucked. I'd wake up in my clothes, full glam, (laughs) uh, and I would just feel really ashamed. And I would think, like, I have to... Well, first of all, my husband probably noticed that I went to bed full glam with my shoes on and my party dress, but I have to get to the bathroom before anyone sees me. That was always my thought. And we stay with family for the holidays, so I was never in my own house. But I did think it was really fun. Like you said, Veronica, I thought that I was having fun. I thought it was what I was supposed to be doing. I thought that's how you celebrate the holidays, but really it wasn't about the holidays at all. It was just about drinking as much as possible and it being socially acceptable at the time. Um so thank you guys for sharing all of that. I think I think that we hit on a lot of really important experiences that people have during this time. So I want to get to the good part. I want to get to the sober happy holidays. Um, and I'm curious to hear the other side. So, Paul, after sobriety, what would you say about your holiday season now?
0: Yeah, thanks, Jill. And Casey, Veronica, and, and you, Jill, great answers. I'm, I'm loving hearing this. And Veronica, when you said the word lonely, a story came to my mind. I'm gonna share real quick before answering your question. In my early 20s, I owned a bar in Spain, and this is also where alcohol took me, my love for alcohol and drinking, what not. And on Christmas day, I think this was like 2006 or seven, I painted my bar by myself. And halfway through that process, I asked a homeless guy if he wanted to come inside the bar and help me paint, and I paid him in beer. So if that just summarizes my Christmas experience, I was painting the bar with a homeless guy, just getting wasted, and it was kind of fun, but I remember the overall foundation was just like, oh my God, this is brutal, and I am masking it with beer. But we got it painted in excellent paint job. (laughs) Okay. First sober holiday. This was Christmas of 2014. Um, overall, much, much better. And I'm going to say overall because there were moments in it where I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is worse than effing horrible, right? And my family's great. It, these are, these are normal, normal dynamics. But when I say overall better, there is a feeling when we do something that was previously labeled impossible by the ego or our own thinking mind, right? So I remember waking up on the 26th of December, making it through that first Christmas. It was like, a, holy buckets, did I just do that? So that feeling alone made it all worth it. But back it up one day before on Christmas Day, my family, we had rented an Airbnb in Mexico uh, on the beach somewhere. And we were in a rental car in the afternoon. And I could, you just feel it. Like the triggers, the blood coming boiling. And I was in the backseat. Um, and I just was like, hey, time out. Hey, uh, I, I need to get out of the car right now. And my parents are supportive. They're like, what's going on? Is it just trust me. And we were in some small town in Mexico. I've, I've traveled a lot in Mexico. I, I feel very comfortable. But they let me out it just some random town, probably 45 minutes away from our Airbnb. And I remember I just had to sit at like a supermarket bench before I eventually asked, Hey, how do I take a bus back to the city? Um, I had to like check out, just like take myself out of that situation to make it through. And sometimes you have to take, make these dramatic, <laughs> dramatic uh, uh, experiences. You just have to do it. And like I said, overall, it was better. I woke up the next day and said, Whoa, did I just do what I previously was unable to do and what I didn't think I could do? And of course, during that, there were moments where uh, it was better. It's like, well, you know, I'm not drunk. I, I guess I'll talk to my brother. I guess I'll get to know my nephew and, and, and things like that. Overall, much better. But hey, there's going to be challenges, and that's part of the human condition. Uh, you just ride it out, and there might come a moment where you got to eject 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 I'm out and see the bigger picture at hand because if I stayed in that situation I'm fairly confident a drink would have ended up in my hand so uh, overall first holiday season and I stayed sober that that New Year's as well um, and I'm on that I'm still on that same current sobriety streak thank goodness hope that hope that still stays alive Um, and now the holidays they are it's flipped there yeah there are stressful moments gift shopping things like that but it's um, I look forward to them. Yeah, thanks, Jill.
1: Thank you, Paul. Um, can you speak Spanish fluently?
0: <laughs> I, I can, yeah, my wife is from Colombia and we, we speak in Spanish, <laughs> yeah. And it didn't get any worse when I owned a bar in Spain. <laughs> but I was also just drunk and just, just <laughs> blabbing, so yeah.
1: That's a goal of mine, that's that's why I ask. So I think that's really yeah, cool. go for it. Casey, how about your first holiday season what was that like yeah
2: that was interesting because i was nine months sober i did the thing that lots of us do the year before where i say january 1st new year's resolution i'm going to stop drinking and probably like many people uh my sobriety date is not january 1st it's february 18th i you know it takes a couple tries to keep going but by the time we got to Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, I mean, I was feeling strong. I'd done a lot of work. Um, I had hired a sober coach. I'd done an online program. I had sober friends. Um, everyone in my life knew that I didn't drink. So I thought it would be easy. And I was very surprised that it wasn't. Um, and I don't know that it was It was hard not drinking, but it was really hard emotionally, which I didn't expect. Um, it was it was a big deal for me reaching the end of that year. And part of me felt like people didn't get it. um, people who were really important in my life, like my mother, who didn't live. She lives in d c. We were in Seattle. And part of it was just those memories of what I loved about drinking at the holidays. So, I remember we went to one of my best friend's house for dinner and we were driving back home in the dark uh, across the bridge in Seattle with um, my eight-year-old and my two-year-old in the car and my mom in the back seat. And my son asked me, you know, mom, um, do you think you've been good this year? You know, we were talking about Santa, right? Um, And I actually said, yeah, yeah. I think I've been really good this year. I've done some very hard things and they're the right things, and I'm proud of myself. And it was very clear to me that I was having this sort of earnest, important discussion with my eight year old that we hadn't really talked about before. And my mom pipes in from the back seat and says, Well, I wouldn't give yourself too much credit. And like, crickets in the car, right? We're driving in the dark and I can't, part of me, I mean, you know, waspy comes of age in the sixties, like kind of like, don't, don't think too much of yourself. Like that was pretty standard in my family, but it was just really hurtful and I was stunned and it went, you know, an awkward 30 seconds, maybe a minute till my husband piped up and is like, Actually, I think she should give herself credit. Uh, She's done really amazing things, and I'm really proud of her. Like, thank God. But we got home, and I ran upstairs, and I just cried. I don't know. You know, just those emotions that you're like, all right, I'm a 40-year-old woman, and I'm crying because my mother said one sentence in a car. But, like, that's – you're so tender. Um, And I got through it, and we enjoyed the, you know, reading – the night before Christmas with my kids and cuddled up. And I remembered the whole night and waking up without a hangover and having a coffee on Christmas morning and taking pictures of your kids with zero guilt. Like I have to tell you, there was no better feeling in the world if you've had lots of hungover moments with your children that you regret. Um, But that night too, my husband asked me, we were having Christmas dinner oh, do you mind if your mom and I split a bottle of red wine at dinner? And red wine was my jam. I had not had red wine in my house or at my dinner table for nine months. And I said, okay, because I was trying to be cool and it was their Christmas too. And I didn't want to impose. And it was so hard for me. The bottle being within arm's reach, these two people drinking it, like I felt like, they were making out with my ex-boyfriend and i loved him so much more than they ever could and they were doing it right in front of me i was it obsessed like it took over the entire dinner and they're normal so they drank it incredibly slowly it probably <laughs> took them two hours to finish this bottle of, like they took it to the game table i took my daughter up to bed i came down They still Like I was filling up their glass being like, if you guys don't freaking drink this, I'm going to kill you because I need it gone. Um, And, you know, you do what you do. I texted my sober bestie. I bitched about them. I got all my anger out. I didn't drink. And I should have had better boundaries and I should have spoken up. And it was my holiday, too. So the next night when my mother-in-law was like, well, we can grab another bottle of wine. I was like, no, you're done that was it. This is not happening again. And I was like, you can drink beer because that was not my jam. You can drink a mixed drink because that was not my jam, but there will be zero wine bottles on my table. And uh, we haven't had wine bottles on our table at at an intimate dinner party since then. If there's a big party and it's BYOB and people are milling around, that's totally cool. But um, it was harder than I thought it would be.
1: I really appreciate that story. And it's hard because we don't want to inconvenience other people or like ruin their holiday. But like you said, no one cares about that bottle as much as you did.
2: And you don't want to make it a big deal, right? It's awkward to be like, so I quit drinking and I was addicted to it and (laughs) you can't drink, right? Like it's it's awkward. You're like, I'm trying to be cool. I'm trying to be fun. I'm trying to not make it someone else's deal. And yet, if it is hard for you and the people love you, you need to speak up for what you need and they will adjust. Like, they can go to with dinner without a bottle of wine. They will not die.
1: They won't. They really won't. Veronica, what was your um, first... Sober holiday season, like
3: it was a long time ago. <laughs> um, I was in Key West, and I was about seven months sober. And i I think I was I, I I wavered for a long time. Like I never, like I was not drinking, but I didn't know if that was going to be for everything. And I I was in AA at that point. So um, what I did <laughs> is I invited my mother over for christmas for like two months i think she came or a month it was a long time and and that's the hardest relationship in my life and i think i was like if she was there it kind of like i couldn't fuck up right because i couldn't go out on benders for two nights or whatever and i think i thought that it was some kind of amends because i'd been such a terrible daughter um so what i did is just bought you know a lot of stress and trigger into my very small apartment for weeks on end. Um, but I well, my first two Christmases, I had the option to work, like on Christmas Day around the holiday, like just work a lot. I I live in Key West and it's tourist season, so it's very busy. So I did that, and that helped me a lot working, like I, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, and that that helped me a lot, like the first couple of years because we're actually really responsible people. Like when I'm drinking, I'm very irresponsible, but I, we're not generally. I'm responsible. I'll do, I'll show up, all that kind of stuff. So I took the responsibility seriously. It it just, it did, it kept me busy, kept me distracted. Um, and that really worked for me. I mean, I had a really big, definitely. I mean, I think the first couple of years, I definitely had a sense of missing out. Again, I was in my twenties and everybody around me was partying. And telling me how great, you know, what great time they were having. Um, so the busyness and the work kind of kept me safe. Um, I don't think, you know, my Christmases have changed a lot. You know, I I was 10 years sober when I had my first child. And Chris, the holiday seasons have been wonderful for a long time. But I worked and I went to a lot of AA meetings and I hung out with a lot of sober people. And I did have a sense of missing out. But I i mean, again, it's a long time ago, but I, I feel like I, I managed them. And I do feel like I did start getting the glimpses of kind of looking at other people and going, you know what, that doesn't actually look as much fun as what you're saying it is you know, actually you've missed work and you look terrible. And like, cause I, I, I got, I drank and got sober in Key West in Florida, which is a big, big party place. And, and it's not like a couple of glasses, of wine place. It's an absolutely getting shit faced place. And, um, I think that is also when my perspective, you know, that perspective shift that happens where you're like, huh, that's how I used to be. And it just doesn't look so attractive. Um, so yeah, that's the, I mean, it's such a long time ago. I've had so many sober Christmases. I've had, I've had way more sober Christmases than I've ever had drinking ones. So that's as much as I remember, to be honest.
1: Yeah. And I think that's important to, um, break down that belief that what, that drinking that way is fun mm. and start seeing that, no, actually this doesn't look very fun. Cause then that helps with all of the FOMO. Mm-hmm. I, um, pre-drinking, I used to work on all the holidays too. And that helped me a lot. Um, I didn't, I wasn't like trying to be sober cause I hadn't even drank yet. I started drinking late, but I was very angry on the holiday seasons. So I would just work. And so I'm, I like that you said that too. Um, yeah. it does really help if you can work or you can volunteer or, help other people in some way go to an aa meeting it it is a nice break I,
3: and i was single and i didn't have children and and my struggle honestly at christmas and this this is the struggle when i got sober it wasn't alcohol it was the loneliness and disconnection that i you know it took me i had to do a lot more work on myself and sobriety to be able to have a relationship so the struggle for me, like Casey, it was really interesting what you were saying. It wasn't alcohol. It was what the holiday season to do, did for me. Is it shone a light and all the things I didn't have and I didn't know how to get. You know, it's like there's nothing more depressing than being 30 something and spending Christmas again with your mum. Because. Right. So um, that that was actually the biggest challenge for me and the work that I had to do in sobriety was it. it, it was. That, that the stuff that I didn't have not not so much the alcohol because once your perception shifts like that's so helpful like I it, it just I was like I felt like I don't know but my third sober Christmas I was like I'm so glad I don't have to do that like you all you all look awful <laughs> right it's December 14th and you all look terrible and we have still got like three weeks to go and I'm really glad I'm not doing this and another drinks party and another
2: whatever So, Jill, what about you? And you mentioned anger a couple times, and I think you just got certified as an anger management coach. Is that right?
1: I am. Uh, Yeah. Thank you, Casey. I haven't told anyone. Besides (laughs) announcing
2: it for you. Don't mind me. (laughs) Thank
1: you. No, I have been keeping it secret. I don't know why, but I told you. And I'm on the website, the official National Anger Management Association website but uh i I think I've mentioned anger fifty seven times so far. It was clearly a problem. It continued to be a problem for me in the beginning. Uh, and I wanted to learn more about it. so:
2: I think we always like work on what we need to learn yep. and help other people with what we've been through, and I think that's awesome because if you don't understand it, it's really hard to empathize and mm-hmm. and get in the mind of the people who are struggling with it. So I think it's very cool.
1: Thank you. Um so my my first holiday season uh it was a lot of FOMO like Veronica was saying and a lot of stress. Um I was very worried about what other people would think because I was a little baby sober. I was right in the first six weeks. I think Christmas, I was like six weeks sober. So all the parties leading up to it, I was just a little baby in sobriety. And there were a lot of parties for work and friends and all this stuff. Uh, Friends stopped inviting me to their parties. So that hurt me. But I got invited to all the work parties, obviously. And I would go... And then I would cry because of all the stress. But then after I cried, then I had that thing that Paul was talking about where it was like, wow, I just did a thing that I didn't think I'd ever do. Look at me. And then I felt really great. So I had that routine for a bit. And I worried obsessively about Christmas because we go to my in-laws every year and they like to drink and party, they like to have fun in that way. And I was worried that uh, people wouldn't want to hang out with me, and they would think I was weird, and that I would make them feel uncomfortable, or that they would bring up all the embarrassing things that I did all the years before, or all the fights, (laughs) all the drunk fights. Um, But everyone was very, very nice to me. And my mother-in-law even told me that she tried to find non-alcoholic champagne for me so that I could participate on Christmas Day. And she she was following me online and she saw that I was into N.A.s. Um, and I was gifted wine for Christmas. I was, um, Casey, I bet you can like feel this. I was gifted European wines from all around different countries in Europe. And that, yeah, that was my thing, like the the classy, like romanticized part of it. And that would have been my ideal gift, pre-sobriety. And I had this huge wine case in front of me. Like I didn't even want to touch it. It felt like something bad would happen to me if I even touched it. And my husband and my mother-in-law both knew my situation and they discussed privately that they would just hide it and then my mother-in-law would keep it and i didn't have to even talk about it or think about it so i was really grateful that they took care of me so i think overall um my first holiday was surprising because people took better care of me than i thought i thought that First of all, no one would like me anymore and they judge me, but they were actually really supportive. I didn't even expect people to be neutral, but then here they are being really considerate and kind and it just made me feel really comfortable and I got through it and I got some of that confidence and then I did it again and every year was better and then I started seeing what drunk people are like like Veronica was saying, and it's like, Ooh, <laughs> I don't want any more of that, please. Is that what I actually looked like? And yeah, every year just got better and better for me. And that doesn't mean like it was perfect right away, but I wasn't worried about waking up full glam uh, after a blackout or... Uh, trying to piece together the humiliation from the night before or just being completely pissed off. I Everything was just a little bit easier. I went on walks with my mother-in-law and we actually connected, which was nice. So it was just better in every way. Can I just say there's something
3: weird that happens when you get sober. You will never win more prizes that are alcohol or get more gifts that are (laughs) alcohol at the holidays than when you are sober like i swear to god when i was drinking i never got free alcohol ever and then like if i get into a raffle i will win the wine (laughs) like i will get you know people still give me multiple bottles at christmas from different still well, people just don't know, like a, like a new neighbor or, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I don't, I'm just, go. Oh, thank you very much. I don't really, you know,
2: put it in the garage and give it to, or you
3: gift it to someone. It's just, there's a sort of irony about that.
2: Oh, I got one of those, you know, those, hey, create your own cork board out of the million. Wine bottle corks, you get like a crafting Uh, kit, and I was like, Oh my god, (laughs) you know, because I used to have so many. You know, like, I mean, you know, you drink eight Mm -hmm. bottles of wine a night for an entire two months, you get a lot of wine
0: bottles. Corks,
1: Paul. Did you ever get alcohol gifts after sobriety?
0: I've received plenty of alcohol gifts. I remember helping a neighbor move one time upstairs, a uh, heavy furniture and he came the next day with a six pack. It's like, ah, I'm sober, but Hey, I didn't say that. I'm like, oh, thank you so much. I love this. Yeah. No, that's that's an issue for, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Un- unfortunately I have had to set the boundary within my family, um, after like four or five Christmases, just like an idea. Hey guys, alcoholism has is, is is kind of ravaged our family i think we can do better within our family than giving somebody else beer socks or like a clock with a whiskey themed logo behind it and that was a serious conversation it's like i think we can we can do a little bit better than this alcoholism is, is has wrecked havoc in our family like let's just let's go a different pathway so did yeah. they get it they did yeah and a lot of people they don't think about it right and yeah. i understand and and i think you know what are the biggest challenges for somebody newly sober navigating holiday for the first time um, part of that could be the gifts <laughs> you know like what's coming what's under the ribbon it could be a gift of this, of this sort but i think the biggest one there is breaking the cycle a lot of this is, is habits you know addiction is not just a habit it is very in depth in, in many things but i think breaking the cycle for yourself for, for yourself I, I don't know if it was my first christmas or whatnot i found myself like in a closet i was like oh that's right i don't drink by myself alone in closets anymore or everybody else is out listening to me it's oh, okay i'm gonna go outside part of it is we're trying to quit drinking in a drunk world but also yeah. that perception is not entirely correct as well i think the biggest challenge someone going to the holidays is confronting your own personal stigmas perceptions internally because what i found the stigma is mostly false let me let me let me explain that for for a minute you know we think when we walk into our first sober holiday that the record's going to stop oh my god uncle paul is not it's it doesn't happen um i'm not that important people don't care about what i'm drinking and in fact Uh, I remember talking to my parents going to one of these events. They're like, Oh, did you know what's his name? Doesn't drink either. I'm like, what? Yeah. He's never drank at Thanksgiving or he's never drank at Christmas. So not everybody is Kung Fu fighting. Like my mind tells me it is going to be. And really when, when I would tell somebody, Oh, I'm not drinking again, I, my, my mind would be like, you're going to get booted out of this family event. But the opposite was like, Whoa, that's great. Um, can I still get you a drink? Maybe one that doesn't contain alcohol? And like, hey, do you want something to drink? We think that question is only about alcohol. It's like, yeah, I'll have a cherry coke or I'll have a all the soda water. There's so many options. Um so the biggest challenge was me facing those internal voices um, and, and seeing them for what they are and doing something that I didn't think I could do.
1: I love that. And you're so right. No one is thinking about how we don't drink. They might think about it because it's a new change, like a new development, but then it becomes old news really fast, and people go back to thinking about themselves um, and their own drinking maybe (laughs) or somebody else's drinking, but it's not our drinking and what's in our glass is not a huge priority for everybody that encounters us.
0: I thought I was more important. Same. (laughs) But, But I wasn't. No one really cared.
1: Same. I thought that I was going to be rejected too. So, Paul, along these lines, what would you say your biggest tip is then? If this is someone's first holiday season or they're nervous about it, what would you tell them?
0: Okay. This is an unequivocal easy one for me. It's a tough one to implement, but it's so easy. Your chances of staying sober at a Thanksgiving or holiday dinner or event are very low if you're the only one there who knows about your goal to be sober. So again, this is an easy one in theory, but actually sending the text or the email or the phone call is quite difficult, but your chances go up astronomically with every person that knows. And I had the luxury of having it an MP3 format, a podcast that circulated within the family. Oh shit, Paul's got a sober podcast on iTunes, my goodness. And that did a lot of favors for me. That burned a lot of ships without me having to actually have those conversations. And then I actually got feedback at those events. Hey, we heard about your podcast, that's, that's awesome stuff. But I would recommend you send an email or a text to, to as many people you can, they're gonna be there. And it can be this simple. Hello, Uncle Tom, just wanna let you know I'm not gonna be drinking at, at, at Christmas this time. Um, Look, that could be it. Let me know if you have any questions. Looking forward to it. Uh, you know, The football games this year are gonna be fun. That's it. But people, you got to create that accountability before you go, not when you go. And there's almost this this formula that takes place in the sobriety world. Okay, you're you're accountable, like you burn the ships. You you're accountable, you burn the ships, and that creates that creates accountability, and then that creates community. I have told so many people in in this journey, like I don't drink, and it almost there's like an c- unconscious response people always respond. It's like an invitation to be authentic or vulnerable. Oh, no way. That's great. Uh, you know, my cousin or my brother, or I've also been questioning my drinking very, very few times. In fact, never if it's like, Hey, I'm not drinking. It's like, what are you, are you serious? Like, what What do you, what that is, is that person is uncomfortable with their own relationship to alcohol. Like that's an easy one right now for me to feel it, to, to, to see that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree. I think telling people so then they don't offer it to you and then you know they know. It does really help. And even when I was I tried to imagine myself even when I was that heavy drinker, if I met someone that was sober, I thought they were really cool. I never gave them crap. Like I was a drink pusher on moderate drinkers, but if somebody didn't drink at all, whether they were sober or they just didn't like it, I was amazed by them. I'm like, how can they be here and they're just themselves and they're cool with that?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with Paul. My number one tip is to tell people in advance, not when you walk in the door like a deer in the headlights, because the first question someone's going to ask you is, can I get you a drink? And what they're going to offer you is beer, wine, champagne, or whatever cocktail they've they've whipped up. And in my mind, part of that is the host just wants to check you off the list, right? They've got five, 10, 15, 20 People, it's they just want to make sure you're taken care of and happy so that you can they can move on to the next thing and they don't know what they don't know. So, I personally totally agree. I think you should every time text people in advance, you can email people too. Um, and just you know, I recommend if you're not ready to tell people that you're sober or anything else, just being like hey, by the way, I'm not drinking this holiday. I'm doing a no alcohol challenge, but really looking forward to X, Y, Z. And I'm going to be bringing my own drinks. Can't, you know, keep it positive, keep it somewhat light unless they come back and ask more. I even went to Nantucket with all my college girlfriends for a three day weekend, which I drank a ton in college and it was really hard, but I texted them all in advance because there was no way. I was going to make it through. And they still all drank around me. We still went to bars. It was not easy, but just them knowing. And some people asked thoughtful questions and offered support. And that was great. Um, The other thing I'd suggest is bring your own non-alcoholic beverages and keep a glass in your hand at all times. And for some people, that's Pellegrino. For some people, that's non-alcoholic champagne i'm actually a huge fan of that or bubbly rosé or um non-alcoholic beer but for some people that's a trigger just kind of know yourself know what works for you also people bring kombucha people bring hot chocolate for you know just enjoying that sugar hit and it's festive or non-alcoholic eggnog sorry paul um that could give you a stomach ache but it won't get you drunk um, depending on if it's spiked. So bringing your own non-alcoholic stuff is good. And the other thing I think is just knowing that you're able to change traditions and knowing what's triggering for you, just recognizing in that in advance. So even if you usually go over to your in-law's house from 2 p.m. to midnight, one in the morning, every holiday you don't have to do that. You can say, oh, actually, I'm really excited to do X. I will be there at this time for dinner, really looking forward to it. And mixing it up with stuff you always said you were going to do, but never did. So go for the hike, go snowshoeing, go watch people, you know, doing a turkey, turkey trot and stay wherever you are later in the day so you get to Thanksgiving later in the day. And also don't stay with your family if they're a huge trigger. Um, I think it's, it's awkward, but also good if someone's coming to Seattle and they're staying with their family and that's incredibly hard to be like, so excited to come to Seattle. And I've always wanted to stay downtown by the great wheel. So I'm going to do that. And can't wait to see you on X, Y, Z time. So you have your own you have your own space, you get to leave you You don't have to be there first thing in the morning and talk to people who are difficult all day long and feel awkward if you take time for yourself so those are my those are my tips.
1: I completely agree, Casey. Thank you, Veronica. What would you say to a newbie? I think uh Paul and Casey
3: have really nailed it um for me, what I would say is it's really no different than any other time of the year when you're at, in early sobriety. Um, and that sobriety has to be your main thing. It just has to be your main thing. Um, I want to stress that early sobriety is very unique. The The first year or so um, is a unique part of the process. And medium and long term sobriety are not like that. And I think people can get kind of You know, think, is this how it's going to be? Is this how it's going to be for the rest of my life? Like every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, I'm going to be like the only one not drinking and the only one sitting there staring at the wine. It's not going to be like this long term because it's not sustainable like that. But the first year is very weird. And it's because of the firsts. You need to go through all of the firsts, the first Christmas and New Year's Eve and Thanksgiving and all that kind of stuff. And they are weird. They're going to be weird. They're going to be strange. Um And then eventually they just become your new normal and you don't even think about it. Like, I don't, I just don't think about it. I haven't thought about alcohol or drinking or wanting to drink for decades. Um, But so no, no, I think that's the most important thing to take away is that early sobriety is a unique experience. You can't avoid it. You're going to have to go through it through it. You're going to have to put your sobriety first, which may mean you make different decisions. It may mean you volunteer on Thanksgiving or Christmas instead of going to the family dinner because it's just too triggering and you don't feel strong enough. Um, It's not always going to be like this. So I would put your sobriety first, do whatever you need to do to stay safe and sober and know that this is all a process and it will change and sobriety will eventually become your new normal.
1: Thank you, Veronica. I think you guys got everything I was thinking. Um, Those were amazing tips. I think I would add on to what Paul said about telling people. I would also make sure that you have people that you could text or call or DM or, you know, whatever. If you're feeling overwhelmed or uncomfortable or you just need a break, um, step outside and get some fresh air and send a text and check in or... Make a post if you're in a community, but just some way to have sober people who get it, know that you're in a situation that you feel stressed about. That helped me a lot too. And when you get through it and you build your sober mojo, then you can have people to brag to that you did it. So it works both ways. Um, But thank you guys so much for, for doing this. Paul, where can we connect with you and learn more about what you do?
0: Yeah. Thanks, Jill, for putting this together. Casey, great to see you again. And Veronica, nice to meet you. Um, okay. So the podcast is called Recovery Elevator. There's an episode every Monday, recoveryelevator.com. We're on Instagram, all that fun stuff, YouTube. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Jill. Appreciate it.
1: Casey, where can we connect with you?
2: Yeah. Um, I wanted to say I really enjoyed this too, and it actually, what I think is hopefully going to be really helpful is people hearing from people who went through holidays that were at different stages in their life, who got who got sober super young, who um, were with their families, were not with their families, who were older, but going to their in-laws and, you know, for me being around kids and my husband and all that stuff. I mean, I think it's unique and I think people listening are going to be at very different points in their lives and different levels of support. So thank you when this is on my podcast. I really appreciate the different perspectives Um, You can find me at Hello Someday Coaching. That's my website. That's where you can find programs and support and lots of free resources. My podcast is also the Hello Someday podcast. And I have, you know, 200 episodes that cover all the things, um, mostly for women. It's sort of a coaching approach um, with lots of therapists and authors for lots of women, lots of working women, and lots of women with children. So that's where you can find me.
1: Thank you, Casey. And I agree. I think we hit we hit a lot of very different experiences and perspectives. Veronica, where can we learn more about you and connect with your work?
3: So my books are on Amazon, um Soberfall by Veronica Valley, and then there's the Soberfall podcast. I'm on Instagram. It's Veronica J Valley. Um just Google Veronica
1: Valley and Soberfall. Lots of stuff comes up. Thank you. Um, and if you're looking for me, if you search "sober powered," you'll find me. Um, that's my podcast and my website and everything else. And I'll have links to everybody's stuff in the show notes. And happy holidays, guys! And thank you for thank you for joining me. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Jill. This is great. Okay. Here are a couple more tips for you. Number one. Live to see another holiday. Yes, you can sit a holiday out this year. Believe me, more than you think is on the line. Number two, I want to double stamp what we discussed in the episode of reaching out to family or friends before the holiday event to let them know you will not be drinking. Burning the ships creates accountability. Accountability then leads to community. Number three, play the tape forward. You and me both know what a booze filled holiday will include. Yes, there will be some added joy, but it will be finite, and the scales will tip in an unfavorable direction, and you'll be consumed with shame, hangovers, and a side dish of feeling of loss of control in your life. Number four, you are not alone. Join us in Cafe RE. Use the promo code READY for a free month. Number five, you're a teacher you are showcasing sobriety to others in your family or at your holiday work party. Number six, wipe any idea that alcohol is the source of happiness out of your mind because in reality, it is the source of your depression, anxiety, why you can't cope with life and for some, gout. Number seven, don't believe the mind or the ego. People don't give a shit that you're not drinking and true friends want you to be happy. They will encourage and help you on your decision to not drink during the holidays. Number eight, look at all of the sobriety stuff as the ultimate invitation to connect with yourself. Number nine, there are 174 species of ducks in this wonderful world. Now, this has nothing to do with sobriety, but I've waited way too long to throw in this stat on the air. So here we go. Number 10, you can do this. We got your back. I got your back you're not alone. Recovery Elevator, happy holidays. It all starts from the inside out. You can do this.